Good morning, Northwest. We are in the middle of Let My People Think, and it's been pretty much fun so far. And in the last service, I totally forgot to play the video clip from Dr. Zacharias. So, Tasha, I think I'm going to do that first so that I don't forget. So, let's hear. We've been starting each session with a clip from Dr. Zacharias, and then we have a teaching from that. And we're going to be talking about how to be a believer, how to let our light shine in a hostile culture. So, Let's see what we got here. When I became a new Christian, uh, I was the only Christian uh, uh, in the group of friends that I had. None of them knew the Lord. They were all from other faiths. Hindus, Muslims, Sikhs, skeptics, Buddhists, Jains, every faith. There was not a single Christian believer in the group. And so as I began my task of reaching some of my friends to Christ and wonderfully saw the results coming, one of my uh, closest friends, in fact he was my closest friend at that time, who was a student uh, of engineering, went on to become a nuclear physicist, came and did his uh, work at MIT and became the chief safety expert at the Atomic Energy of Canada, was an orthodox Hindu Brahmin, Sundar Krishnan, some of you may have heard him, uh, he gave up his career in nuclear physics and has become a pastor in Toronto, one of the finest expositors that I know, Many years thought he liked me, found out I liked my sister, he's my brother-in-law now, and uh, <laughs> living, living in Toronto. I give you all that preamble for this. Sundar was a very brilliant guy, and is. Probably one of the brightest minds I have ever known. He was a gold medalist student. And I remember he and I were talking to his cousin. We were still in our teens. We were in Sundar's home, and his cousin was also a student of engineering. And we were talking to him about Christ, and here's what he said. He said this. He said, you know, I believe your lives have been changed. He said, I can see it. I can see it in you guys. Your lives are changed. He said, but I also want to make this comment. I don't believe it has anything to do with any supernatural birth or anything like that. He said, no matter what you say, I don't buy that. He said, this thing is entirely psychological. He said, I have met so many Christians for whom there is absolutely no difference in their lifestyle. In fact, their standards are much lower than most of the men and women whom I call friends. They are hypocritical, they are duplicitous, their standards are double, they don't live privately what they claim publicly. He said, I know that for a fact. He said, I'm not making an excuse, I'm just telling you, I don't believe in any one of these religions, they're all psychological theories. And it works for some and doesn't work for others. He said, it may have worked for you, but it's got nothing to do with the supernatural birth. And what staggered me about his assertion was the fact that as far as I knew at that time and as far as I know now, the Christian faith is the only faith which claims to have a supernatural new birth. The Muslim doesn't claim this. The Buddhist doesn't claim this. The Hindu doesn't claim this. And the Jain doesn't claim this or the Sikh doesn't claim this. No other worldview, and if I'm wrong, you correct me. It is only the Christian that claims that this is not born out of the will of the flesh, nor out of the will of man, but this is born of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now that Thank you assumption so puts us to a very serious apologetic critique. Thank you. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So we're going to talk this morning about what that supernatural life should look like in us. We're going to start our sermon today with the book of Daniel. 
There's quite a bit of reading here, so this is the only scripture reference we're going to use. So let's take a few moments and read it together. Or you read it with me. During the third year of king, the king's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over the king of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. You can imagine this was a really sad time in the life of the nation of Israel. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and some other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with the knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years. And then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I am afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared with the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after them. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggested and tested them for 10 days. Now I've cut out the next part because this passage is very long, but most of us know the end of the story. They were tested after 10 days, found to look healthier, found to be fatter, and, and more clear of mind. So God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. No one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mashael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable. 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Amen. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar had a strategy. He, this was long before psychology came into, into play, but he understood a way of indoctrinating people. And his philosophy was this. 
change their loyalty by changing their names. That was part of his plan. And we know that Daniel was a captive for 70 years. Changed their loyalty by changing their names. Changed their thinking by giving them a Babylonian education. This would have been mathematics and science, learning that intricate Babylonian language. And also with this culture in this vast kingdom, they would have had to go to school for three years to learn the occult and the dark and the magic arts. Changing their thinking. He wanted them to think like a Babylonian, not like a Hebrew. He wanted them to start embracing the thought the concept, their reality, that there is more than one God, as opposed to Daniel, who said, there is one God, and his name is Jehovah. He wanted them to change their lifestyle by changing their diet. The king said, I want you to eat from my table. There's rich food and, 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 and wine. And he wanted to change the way they looked at life. And most scholars believe that Daniel, his friends, and all the captives that came from Judah were castrated, it's PG audience. Do, do most of you men know what that word means? Okay, uh, the Bible calls him a eunuch. And so Daniel, this was not an easy task that he had. He was ripped from his homeland along with his friends into captivity for only God knew how long. God had permitted this to happen. God had allowed this to happen. So we're going to see what Daniel's attitude was, what, what boundaries, what, what lines did he put in place around himself so that he could still maintain that heart for God and so he could still maintain an influence for God. How did he do it? How did he do it? I would expect at least a sentence or two of, woe is me, you won't, you're not going to believe what happened to me, you're not going to believe, that the king has ensured that I will have no lineage, I will have no family line, I don't know when I'm getting back to my homeland. How did he maintain an attitude of absolute loyalty to God and how do we do it today? The first thing I noticed is he found a point of reference. He found a place that he said, you know what? This is the line I won't cross. This is the thing that when I, I will not go beyond this. There were some things that, and we'll just allow whatever needs to happen to happen and we'll focus and concentrate. So Nebuchadnezzar instituted certain things with these captives. One of them being that the name would be changed. Now his name was changed to something that meant I'm now gonna protect this new God. Daniel, whose name meant God is my judge, would now be saddled with the name that meant I'm going to protect this new God. But nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to have a name that honors God. So that wasn't a hill that Daniel wanted to die on. That was just like he's going to shrug his shoulders and let it go. Did you think he wanted to have that name? No, he didn't. But it wasn't something that was forbidden. The only thing that we see as we're reading this passage where he said, this is my point. This is my line. It will not be crossed. Is when the king said, you need to eat the food from my table. Because a lot of the things at the king's table, although they would have been delicious and delicacies, were forbidden for Daniel. Because Daniel was someone who adhered to the, to the old covenant. And he knew that certain foods he shouldn't eat. So that was the place where he said, 
This is the hill I'll die on. I, I, you know what? You can change my name. You can educate me into the, to your way of thinking. I'll study things that normally I wouldn't study. I would not normally study astrology. I would not normally study occult magic, but I will do it because the scripture doesn't forbid the study of it, forbids the practice of it. So a lot of things he just let roll off his shoulders, but there was a point. There was something that he knew to be true in his devotion to God. For Daniel, it, was, it started with food, with his diet, because God had said, you must not, as someone devoted to me, eat these things. Now, of course, we live in the new covenant and we have a, a different set of beliefs. But the fact remains, what do you know to be true about God? What is your reference point? As you're out and about at your school and you're at work and you're in your community and you're, and you're living and talking with your neighbors, what's your point that you go, you know what? They have this lifestyle, they have this set of beliefs, but this is where, and I'll try to get along as best I can, but this is the point that I'll say. For me, for example, my belief, and most of you will share this with me, is that God is loving. He's loving God. He shows his mercy, the Bible says, every day. My belief is that God is a just God, and that somehow God is able to balance the two of that, his mercy and his love with his justice. Now that is a line that I, a point of reference I've placed in my spirit, a point of reference I've placed in my mind, so that when things happen in life that I don't understand, I see calamities and I see catastrophes, and you see things that happen, and we don't know where to put that information in our brain. We don't know how to process the incredible pain that we see. That point of reference is still there. I know, no matter what is happening here, I know that God is merciful. I can't explain what I just read online in the news. I can't explain it. But my point of reference is God is just, and He is good and he is kind, and he will work it all out. That's my point of reference. What is your point of reference? What is the place that when you see coworkers and you see friends at school and you hear teachers that are hostile, you know what you know to be truth, what is your point of reference? At what point do you stand up and say, this is what I cannot cross? I can't violate my conscience in this way. And what things do you just let pass? Because you know God hasn't forbidden it. You're just uncomfortable with it. What is your point of reference? Daniel was determined. Ladies and gentlemen, do not wait until your second drink in a bar to determine how you're going to deal with your loneliness. You better make that choice before you decide where to go. You better make that choice. You better determine how you're going to deal with loneliness, how you're going to deal with rejection before you find yourself in a situation where you have to make a choice. 
He was determined ahead of time. That had already been settled in his mind, in his heart, in his emotions. I will not defile myself in this way. It was settled. He didn't have to, to figure it out when the time came that the decision needed to be made. Find your point of reference in God. Hold to it. Cling to it. So we're not blown here and there and every which away. All right, amen? Before anything can be lived, any thought, any, any lifestyle, any belief system, before anything can be lived, it first has to be believed. What do you believe to be true about God? What has he said about himself? And you find yourself believing it. Once that is a part of who you are, how you think, how you feel, you will start to see your life lining up with what you believe. The choices I make will line up with what I believe once I really believe them. Once it's really a belief that I have and not something that's just the wind has blown in that day, to be blown out again the next. We don't have time for this. This is the, the stand that the, that the three friends made. They also had their own stand. Please feel free to read that at home. Find your place of relevance. Find the place once you decide once you know, I, you know what? I, I don't have all the answers theologically. I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not anywhere. But I know this is true. This I know is true. Once you have that, then start reaching out. Find something that matters in your life. Find a place where you can relate to the people around you. I have an example I used several years ago. Once believed, it needs to be communicated. This is Father Damien. Some of you are, are aware of his story. He decided, he signed up. He went to a place where lepers were quarantined. This was um, several centuries ago. This was back when they believed that leprosy was contagious. And um, there was a, an, one of the Hawaiian islands called Molokai was the place that they quarantined the lepers. And so he volunteered from his order to go and what we call minister to them, which means he would hold uh, prayer meetings and Bible sessions, but he also did more than that. He would clean their ulcers and he would bathe them. And he built cabins and, and homes for them. He dug graves and made coffins. He found a place where his belief in God mattered to the people around him. And he did this for 16 years. And he would always start his Bible lessons or his prayer time or his time where he ministered to the lepers. He would start by saying, my fellow believers. And then he would give them what God had said to him that day. One day, he noticed that he had lost feeling in his fingers. And as time bore out, he himself had contracted leprosy. And from that point on until the day that he died at 49, he began his sermons by saying, my fellow lepers. He found the place 
where something mattered to him. There was a relevance in his life. He could touch that need. When he died, he was a Belgium. He was from the nation of Belgium, and they said, we want his body back. He is a national hero, and we want his body and, and the, the people at Malakali said, well, well, no, this is, this is the hand that touched us. We, we need something. Can we just, and this is a little gruesome, can we keep his right arm? We want the hand that touched us. We want the hand that washed our sores. Can you just leave us the hand that touched us? So they did. They, that, that's buried there. There's a monument there to him. His arm is buried there and his body was shipped back to Belgium because he said, no, we want him here. He's precious to us. What matters to you? Once you know, this is true about God. I believe this about God. In every situation, I believe this. How does it look? Can you live it? Can you find a place that you say, that's broken. Sin in this world causes brokenness and there is a place and brokenness is not just for the poverty mindset or for people that are in poverty there are broken people that are millionaires there are broken people that are scientists there are broken people in every area and every arena every strata of life there are broken people where do you see brokenness? I, Pastor Peter, when we started this series several weeks ago, he started with the absence of the father and how important the father is to the home. That's where he sees brokenness in our culture. That the father has been removed so many times from, from, from this existence. And Pastor Mark last week talked about significance. And how he sees people have no significance. They don't know they were created in God's image. And that's not a part of their life. For me, I see broken families. It's one of the reasons why we started Lovely. To minister to the children. To help these young girls understand who God is and why they were created. Can you find a broken place? Can you find a broken place? Some of you have gone into education because you see the brokenness in that field and you want to be a part of a solution. You want to touch the lives of these kids. Maybe you've gone into to, to any field of education or maybe you've gone into the health field because you feel a sense that people need to walk in health and you want to help them do that. Where do you see that? Can you find your relevance? We can't isolate from our culture, from the people around us, and still be the hand that has touched their brokenness. Amen? We can't isolate. We can't pull ourselves back. We can't be relevant if we're isolated. It's a cute little quote. How we walk with the broken speaks louder than how we sit with the great. Find the power of perspective. I want to spend the most time on this because I think that if, if any area we need to, to really think about, it's this one. Uh, Matthew Henry was a theologian and he 
wrote many commentaries. A lot of us will study using his commentaries. And he wrote something in his journal the day after he was robbed. And this is, of course, from another century, so it's going to sound different. But I think this perspective is priceless. I love it. Let me be thankful first, because he never robbed me before. Second, because although he took my purse, and this was back when men were secure in their masculinity, and he could use the word purse. <laughs> Gabe gets it. He did not take my life. Third, because although he took all I possessed, it wasn't all that much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, and not I who robbed. That's perspective. That's perspective. We see so many people who everything today is a catastrophe. Every little thing is blown so out of proportion that when something really, really big does happen, something that would require the emotional response would be equal to that, we're exhausted because we've spent our emotion on nothing, on everything. Because everything is a catastrophe. Everything is an emergency. Everything demands that we get angry or sad. We have to have the power of perspective. We have to keep things in perspective. When the, when the king changed Daniel's name, you know he didn't like being called that. But hey, you know what? I'll answer to that. When he made him go through that elaborate educational process, God had a purpose for that. Only Daniel was in a position to say, uh, among equals of the other magicians and enchanters and sorcerers, he was educated in that system so he could stand shoulders and above. In fact, he even told the king, you know what? This was not given to me by your gods. I didn't even figure this out myself. The one true God has given me the interpretation of your dream. It has given me the answer to your problem. So he went over. Only God could debunk this powerful king Dispossess some of his thought that it's magic, it's occult, it's sorcery that causes this to happen. Daniel was in a unique position to do that because he was obedient to God, even as a captive, even as a prisoner. Now more than any other time, I should have written this down, but I didn't. People listen with their eyes and think with their feelings. People think with their feelings. We can bemoan that, or we can understand it and act appropriately in this culture, in this world. When we lack perspective, I try to force my lifestyle onto people who don't know God. When I think their biggest problem is they can't stop saying the F word. When I think my biggest problem is she can't stop sleeping around, she thinks that that's the answer to something. Or that he thinks that this is the answer, making more money is the answer. When I think that's the problem, I've lost perspective. The problem is they don't know God. They don't know that God loves them. They don't know that Jesus died for them. That's what we need to focus on. And me helping them find their way to the cross 
We'll fix that foul mouth. We'll fix that problem of low self-esteem. We'll fix that sin nature. That will fix it. Amen? Amen. Perspective. Perspective. I don't want to put that through yet. Um, let me tell you a little story really fast. This just happened to me this past month, and I'm a little embarrassed because it's not very flattering to me, but I'll tell it anyway because, because I need to. <laughs> um, I've been going to the chiropractor. I mean, nothing, nothing wrong with that because I keep getting these like lumps and knots in my neck and and this a little bit embarrassing because christians really should be the most chill people on earth right i mean god's in control what am i worried about but yet i get these bolder fist-sized things in my so anyway pray for me pray for me i think it's how i study the position i'm in but anyway so i've been going to the chiropractor one by my house so none of you know any of these people even though i will change the names to protect the innocent so i started going and um and they're, you know, these girls are working on these knots, and gee, I don't even know what all that means, but they were working on these knots, and my head's in this hole, you know, and every now and again you're drooling because you can't, she's just like going like this, and it's like, and so it's a 20-something, which God love her, she's so sweet, but it's this typical, she's been educated in the public school, and you know, so all the thoughts that come with that, you know, she lives with her boyfriend, and, and she's a vegan, and all these different things, it's, you know, very typical, nothing wrong with all that, but there's not really any time to interact, because as I'm leaving, someone else is coming in, it's not like I can sit down, and unless, I guess I could use my time, and talk with her rather than, but anyway, so I'll call her Chatty Kathy, because I'm trying to get my our torture session in, and she's talking the whole time, which is nothing wrong with that, except I find myself be tense, more tense when I leave than when I come in. So I'm thinking, okay, this isn't working. It's now gone from this size to this size. But so I, me being me, I don't want to get the girl in trouble because she's a lovely girl. I mean, she's wonderful. And, but I don't want to say, hey, she's talking my ear off and I'm not able to relax, could you please? So I go to the desk and say, you know, this, this time isn't working for me. Could, could we pick another time? And she's like, well, we wouldn't be able to use Chatty Kathy. We'd have to get another girl. I'm like, oh, that's, that's fine. Well, that's fine, yeah. We'll do it. Okay, that's fine. So as I go to pay, the lady said, well, you, you have a credit on your account. You don't owe any money. I'm like, sweet. So I didn't even ask any questions. I just, I just left. So three weeks ago was the next week. I came in and sat down, and I was supposed to have Amy. Names have changed. And out sticks Chatty Kathy, who had around, hi, Mrs. Evans, come on back. And I'm thinking, I know, I had another girl as I'm going back there. And so we start talking, and uh, I, excuse me, I start listening, and um, she asked me something about, the Lovely Project, I said, yeah, we're going to do it, Dr. Phillips. And she goes, oh, my boyfriend works at Arthur's. I'm thinking, okay, Lord, this is not a coincidence anymore. Arthur's is the, the restaurant that we picked to do our catering. So she goes, oh, I bet he would love to, to do the catering that night. And so I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she wrote his name down and gave it to me. So I check out, and um, the lady's like, Mrs. Evans, you have another credit, so you don't always think. And now my conscience is starting to bother me a little bit because I'm thinking, okay, do you, wanna, you mind checking that and see? And so she gets up and goes in the back. Now, it might have been like that Seinfeld episode where they go in the back and they don't really talk about anything and then they just come back out. Remember that episode? But she comes back out and she goes, no, you have a credit. You don't know what's the thing. So I'm like, sweet. So I, uh, but I need a different time. And she goes, oh, well, okay, well, we'll, we'll use 
candy. Can, is, will candy work? Candy will work just fine. So, last week, I skipped a week of the same thing, cut and repeat. So, I'm sitting there and Chatty Kathy's face comes around the corner again. And I'm thinking, and, I'm, and this is then the third, fourth week in a row. And I'm, in my mind, I'm going, I'm paying good money for these. And the Lord stopped me and said, you haven't been paying for these sessions. I've been paying for these sessions. I'm like, okay, what do you want me to? So we go through the session and I go, as, I, as she's working on me and my head's in the hole, I said, um, would you like to, how about if I, April, how about if I buy your ticket for the, for the lovely banquet and you can come? In my mind, I'm thinking, I shouldn't have to buy her a ticket. She's, she's got a full-time job. I felt like I was supposed to say that. How about if I buy your ticket and you come and you can watch your boyfriend? She's, oh, that would be wonderful. And I felt so guilty that I had all these thoughts because I really want to introduce her to you ladies. So as I'm leaving the place, I said, um, Oh, so I still have a credit? She's like, no, Mrs. Evans, you owe. So it only lasted until I was obedient to God. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't know, people. I'm just saying. All right. Okay. We desperately need perspective to thrive in a culture that needs God, but doesn't want him. People do not know it's God that they need. They think they need a boyfriend. They think they need more money. They think they need more of something or less of something. They don't know it's God that they need. Perspective gives us forbearance. And forbearance means what? Patient restraint. Don't you like that? Patient restraint. It's not fear. It's not not saying something because you're afraid. It's waiting for the right time. Patient restraint. And that goes along with what the Bible says about tolerance. Granting people the right to be wrong. Let them, if it's not something that the, that the Lord has forbidden, if it's not something that will compromise your walk, can you allow it? Can you, be, can you forbear while God works the situation out? Can you have forbearance? Can you trust God? Can you? Would you stand with me, please? When we don't understand perspective, besides everything being a catastrophe, things get out of skew. Opposition to something now turns into hatred. They hate me. They hate this idea. Instead of it just being, this is opposition. Loss of a privilege now becomes persecution. You feel like you're being persecuted. Perspective. Daniel had that perspective that is linked with wisdom. He knew when to make a stand, when to say, you know what? This is, I, I'm not crossing this. This is, this is where I stand. This is the hill I will die on. And when to go, you know what? Let me, let me go with you to that. We'll, we'll go together and we'll see. We'll see where that leads. He knew he had a perspective 
born of wisdom. And what I love about Daniel is the fact that he rose to power in that environment under those circumstances, but not just rose to power under that powerful, evil King Nebuchadnezzar. He was also under, uh, rose to power and stayed there when Darius, the next king, came and the king after that. And most of us know that when a new regime takes over, the first thing that goes is you sweep out all the old. You get rid of everything that reminded you of the old, the, the predecessor. How did he last? How did he do that? How was he so wise and had such a perspective, but yet had such a clear line? When the edict was passed that you can't pray to anything except the gods of Babylon, his point of reference, I'm, gonna, I'm still going to pray to God. He still opened his windows and three times a day he prayed. Do you know your point that you will not cross? Do you know enough about God to say, this I am sure. Does that knowledge, does that understanding, does that revelation cause you to see the world with compassion, to see a place that's broken, to know that your hand can make a difference in that situation? Your touch is needed in the places that you see brokenness. And can you have a perspective that will allow God to move, that will allow God time to do what only God can do anyway? Or we just throw up, well, it's not, hadn't worked, it's been a week. Don't have the answer yet. Perspective. Perspective. Jeremiah, if you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. If you speak good words rather than worthless words, what are worthless words? You don't have faith. You don't speak hope. You don't speak any truth about God. It's just, woe is me. This is a problem. Look what's happened to me. Can't believe this has happened again. Those are worthless words. If you speak good words, words of faith, words of trust. You can be my spokesman. You must influence them. Do not let them influence you. I know it's hard to think that we're living in a hostile culture because for the last however many centuries, we've lived in a culture that have laws based on the Ten Commandments. And we are still enjoying the fruit of that. But most of you know that day is coming to an end. Most of you can already see that, that that is changing. And we're gonna need this more in the next decade. We need to sow this into our children, how to stand for God when no one around them is. I, there's a statistic, and I'll close with this. One of the things about Daniel in his education process I don't have the statistic on the ready, but it's high, of students that go into our college universities as a believer. By that, that just might mean they went to youth group regularly. That doesn't mean that they... But they went in as a believer, and four years later, they come out as an agnostic. Well, I don't really know if God exists or not now. I don't really know if there's any real one truth or not now. 
Daniel was able to do all this and held to his convictions. Can you hold to yours? We'll do it together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my sisters in this room, for my brothers in this room. God, I know that you are using us in this city. You're using us at work. You're using us in our homes as we take care of children, as we enter the boardroom, as we step on a plane. Father, I want to thank you for your protection over each one in this room. I pray for our families. Pray for our finances. This is the year that we are speaking growth. And Lord, this year is not over yet. And we're asking for growth in our finances, growth in our uh, emotional health, growth in our physical health, growth in the relationships that we have and that we're making, growth in your kingdom coming to this city. Father, help us to see the broken places that our touch can mend. Help us to find that place of meaning and relevance.